and welcome to another episode of Scions of the Southland. It is Tuesday, or no, it's Monday right now when we're recording this. So it'll be Wednesday when this goes up. I don't know. Time is stupid. Uh, it has been another busy weekend of Georgia Tech sports. Uh, as always, we have Mr. Jake Grant here to talk about it. How are you this week? Hello. I'm good, thanks. Uh, settled back in. School's been all right. Uh, I don't know. I can't complain. It's, you know, it's it's that February grind. You know, you're a student. You'd think you'd find a way to complain, you quirky millennial you. I like to think I'm a uh, glass half full kind of guy, uh, particularly on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. But that's neither here nor there. Okay. Wow. Someone has friends. So cool. Anyway. <sighs> all right. So we have a lot to get to as per usual. Uh, but let's get started with the usual women's basketball update. Jake, do you want to hit this one? Sure. Um, they played twice. Both on the road, Blacksburg, Raleigh, last week. Um, they've kind of been not fully off the bubble, but you know they've they're been they've been on the outside looking in thanks to that five game losing streak they had, and didn't really do themselves a lot of favors up in Virginia Tech. But I don't really want to talk about that game because it wasn't that fun. Because uh, yeah, it was not losing, that fun. Losing, great, but we do have a a really really fun game to talk about uh, in the NC State game. That was uh, Sunday, uh, yesterday for Akshay and me and the present right now. But um, but yeah, no, they had a, a rip roaring time. Went up to Reynolds Coliseum, which um, place where we uh, also notably had a great volleyball comeback win. Uh, where they uh, where Georgia Tech, I wouldn't call it a, a, a comeback win per se this week, but um, but no, they they handled and held off uh, the Wolfpack. So yeah, definitely a a solid week for them. Yeah. So I'm, I have the, uh, the game cast of the NC state game pulled up. And if you pull this up too at home, you'll see that right in at the beginning of the third quarter, about eight Oh nine in the third quarter or eight Oh nine left in the third quarter. Tech goes up 31 30 on a Francesca pond jumper and just explodes from there. And I, I, I watched a little bit of the game and honestly it would not be huge stretch to say that a lot of that offensive explosion was because of Francesca Pond and for sure uh, 30 points. <laughs> yeah. Just to, just to cover her stat line to end the game, 30 points, 11 to 24 shooting four or five from the free throw line, seven rebounds. It was a very, very effective day for her. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, again, I, I uh, didn't get to watch all of this, but I did go back and watch the the end. We we jumped out and and stayed ahead, kind of after that mid second. You know, like it was solid. It was solid, but our biggest lead didn't come till late in the second, which is good. Um, or late in the second half, I should say, um, which is good because that's something we've kind of struggled with. Is and and you've done a lot of looking into this kind of phenomenon over the years of the like the third quarter nap, you know, coming out of half and oh God, I don't even. Yeah. Um, but um, we didn't really nap yesterday. Got, got close at the end, but I, you kind of expect that playing the number four team in the country. So not gonna, not gonna hold that uh, above their head too much, but, um, 
But no, they, they, they locked it down. They shot the free throws at the end, which is something that they've struggled with at least a little bit. Um, so I don't know. It's good. It's good to see them getting, just putting it together. Right. Like this is, this is kind of how we laid out a path to seeing them succeed and they, they followed through on it. Yeah. And I do want to mention they made their free throws down the stretch. They still were sub 60% on hitting free throws for the game. They were at 53.8% compared to NC State's 77.8%. And then one last note that I'm looking at the, that I'm seeing on the game flow diagram. It's not to say that NC State didn't pull close. And I I mean, you said this, that NC State made it especially close um, towards the very end, but also. If you if you're looking right going into that fourth quarter, NC State pulls within pulls within four pulls within six ish, and then Tech goes off in that quarter again, and NC State actually ends up falling asleep for the majority of that for the opening part of of the fourth quarter. So it seems like in this situation, the tables have actually turned for for Tech. It's it's NC State um, its opponent. Uh, that's the one that's being lulled to sleep here. Whereas tech is able to keep up that momentum, um, especially into the late stages of that fourth quarter where it comes down to layups uh, and free throws after fouls. It's not, it's something I wish we'd see more consistently all year, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fault them for putting it together against the team where a win would help them the most, you know? Yeah, um, um, just to go over a couple more stats to really pad the picture here. Uh, field goal percentage overall, Tech eked out a victory there, 47% versus NC State's 45. Uh, Tech shot better from three about by about uh, 12 percentage points. Tech turned the ball over slightly less, um, two fewer than... Uh, NC State, and then both teams were even in rebounds. Um, I hate to just read off of a stat sheet here, but I, I think a couple of these really tell the tell the tape, especially in a close game like this. You look at that turnover margin, two extra turnovers is two extra possessions. You say a possession is like two-ish points on average, probably like 2.2. I don't know what the metrics say. I mean, there was a four-point margin in the game. It comes out. It comes down to doing those those couple little things, right? That's why. That's why you play the game. That's why. Th- that's where any team can win on any given day, and that's something we say a lot about, like you know, like baseball, especially. But I don't know. Like Georgia Tech plays an aggressive brand of defense. Is big in the rebound. Like if if they're gonna pull it off. They're going to they're going to get those those couple extra shots and and women's basketball is a game that sees a lot of turnovers so I'm not like I'm not gonna go oh, wow look they shot 47 percent from the field like they also turned the ball over a, a, a decent amount more than you know looking at other stat lines so it kind of balances it out but if you can play your physical brand of basketball you're gonna put yourself in a lot of games and with Francesca Pond who is the anchor, is the senior, is the most experienced person on this team clicking? It, it, it's exactly I this a, a phrase we say sarcastically a lot b- between the two of us and going to sports and stuff like that is just how we wrote it up. Like I mean that without the least bit of irony or sarcasm or, or no. This is know. this is how you it, 
if Nell Fortner is writing the story of this game, this is exactly what she's targeting. She's get she's looking at getting the ball to her shooters, her her like her offensive generators, and making the machine go there. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, and to put this back in a little bit of like the national perspective, we're back on racket according to uh, a college sports madness, which is probably my go-to. I know it's not everybody's, but they definitely keep the most regular tabs on uh, on women's basketball and bracket stuff. But um, no, the last state in for them this week are St. John's, uh, who we'll talk about in baseball in a little bit. Yay. Um, Georgia Tech, Western Kentucky, Duke, Drake, Iowa State, Creighton, and Tennessee. Uh, this is despite Georgia Tech's RPI, Akshay, currently sitting at a nice 72 in the country. Um, so that's not awesome, but it is up 18 spots from last week, despite only going one and one. Uh, that's what you get for uh, beating a team that was on the number one line in a lot of brackets. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no. Um, and usually a lot of these sites, uh, uh, kind of a disclaimer that I, I'll give is, um, is their first eight out will skew towards mid-majors and low-majors, and their last eight in will skew towards uh, major programs, but among the the last eight in, you got St. John's, which is Big East, which is major conference uh, in basketball, and then you got Georgia Tech, Duke um, out of the ACC, Tennessee out of the SEC, Crichton also out of the Big East. So th- those are big schools. But then you also got oh, also Iowa State, but you still got Western Kentucky and Drake in the mix. Uh, and then in their first eight out, there's uh, two Big Ten teams: North Carolina, Butler. Uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. So it, it's fairly balanced. I'm, I don't know. A, a win like this is something that'll turn a lot of heads, especially when you're a team like Georgia Tech that has come down close against quality teams like, uh, like A and M uh, earlier in the year and North Carolina uh, too, Miami, yeah. Virginia Tech. Yeah, Florida State was a win. Uh, we get them again. Like that's another opportunity to get another one. Like they're they're playing themselves into. Not relevance. That would be a wrong way to put it, you know. But they're, they're playing their way back into the tournament. Is, is how yeah. I would put it. Yeah, and if if they can, uh, if they can nab another another win out of uh, what are they called um, out of Florida State, I I I don't see them again. Win the games, play the games, play the schedule. Um, think we need to play Clemson again. So got to win that one. Loss there would be pretty bad. Um, oh yeah. They're knock on some wood right now, um, but uh, but yeah, no, they're they're they ended the week how I think they needed to, and I think that's mm-hmm. that's you know if if they're gonna play in March, if they're gonna play into April, like better to do it in the NCAA after all the years of kind of exist on this margin that we're kind of at right now, you know. Mm-hmm. And just to give you an idea of what the schedule looks like the rest of the way, there are three games left: Thursday at number five, Louisville. Uh, Sunday versus number 17, Florida State, and then the following Sunday at Clemson. So you got to take it. I mean, you got to take the Clemson game. Like that is a oh, – that you have to take that one. Two and one has you sitting pretty heading into the ACC tournament. Um, and it, it, from there, it's a little bit of a crapshoot in terms of what your how the seating works and how many wins you're going to get there, but you take Louisville or Florida State, and then you're you're in very very good position to get 
probably into that 60-ish range where you are firmly on the bubble, if not edging towards being the last couple of teams in. I don't know. I, I think, especially if they beat Louisville, I, I think this team has wins that can stack up against anybody in the country. Um, but they also have some losses that are kind of like anvils, you know, and in the top-heavy sport, the, the ones at the top only really beat each other up, you know? So... Mm-hmm. And if you and if you look at that early season slate too, I think some of these teams are going to come back to hurt them, like playing East Tennessee State, playing Kennesaw, albeit I don't really know how Kennesaw looks right now. Um, I mean, almost losing to Clemson. We we talked about a couple of weeks ago how that Clemson win, despite being a win, is also looks like a loss in terms of RPI. Like, I mean, some of these games, some of these games are just hold the team back when you're talking about their tournament resume. And that's not, you know, that's not any fault of their own. You, you schedule, you schedule, you play the games that are on the schedule, et cetera, et cetera. But you really want to cement your place on, on, uh, in the tournament picture for the first time since what, like 2012. Yeah. Beat, beat Louisville, beat Florida state, beat Clemson. You are probably in. I, I won't say definitely. I won't, like, again, disclaimer, we're not experts, but that should be enough. See, I, I was going to go down this list here, and at first I was going to roast Kennesaw looking at the RPI because they're at 217, and that's not good. Um, but then I kept searching because you said ETSU, and I was like, oh, they're at 285. That's pretty terrible. And then I kept scrolling. Uh, or Sorry, 283. Pittsburgh's at 289. And then, drumroll please, Georgia State at 309. Those are all teams that we played. Um, yep. Beat, thank goodness. But those are not those are not going to be helpful. You know, at Grambling is on there too. We played Grambling. Um, beat them 89 to 42. You know, like that's great. You bank that win or whatever. But they're sitting at 345 in the country out of 351. Yeah, it's not – some of these games are just like you said they're anvils on the uh on the schedule. It's not just losses that hurt you. It is at a certain level the strength of your schedule. Um but again, yep. I I think the I I think the greater point is look, you got three great opportunities, well really two and then Clemson is the th- is kind of a third. Three great opportunities at the end of the season to play yourself back into the tournament picture without needing help from the ACC conference tournament. It's, yeah, it's do or die time. Yeah, they they need. I, I think they need. They need to win. A, I, I was going to say three wins, um, but I think, yeah, it'd be great if two of those came before. But if they're in the ACC tournament, going one and two in these last three games, they need to pick up definitely one win, probably two, uh, in order to uh, kind of be at a place where they can say, okay, mm-hmm. like we're 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 in the mix. Um, Looked at Clemson really quick. By the way, um, they are seven and nineteen, uh, four and ten at home. So uh, they, they sit two eighteen in the country. That is a game we must win. Absolutely must win. Yeah, and and I mean we we discussed previously that that is also a bit of an anvil in terms of RPI, but at the same yep. time, it's a bad team. You need to beat yeah. the bad teams. Would have been really, really helpful to get a Virginia Tech win because they're sitting at about 29 right now. But 
can't take that back. Um, we, we play the schedule we have. We get another shot at Florida State and Louisville. So uh, I guess a grudge match with the Elizabeths is coming up. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Let's move on. Uh, women's tennis is the next thing on our docket. Uh, I have here from what you wrote in Yellow Jacket Alley that, uh, yes, I, or not Yellow Jacket Alley. Wow. Yellow Jacket Roundup. It is late on the West Coast today. Uh, women's tennis at number 17 in the nation fell to Miami. Uh, at a score of five and two, and then downed Northwestern four to two. Uh, so you want to fill in the gaps of my meager tennis knowledge here? Yeah, uh, we'll kind of shoot through them pretty quick. Um, Miami has a very good singles player, actually. I was kind of surprised going back and looking at it because, like, they don't live stream it. And it was at the same time as baseball, so you kind of got to piece together what you Yeah, you kind of got to piece back together what it is. Um, Miami's not terrible. Uh, it's not like they're dropping an out-of-conference thing or like a, a team they need to beat, for example, would be Boston College, whose tennis team is terrible. Tech uh, started themselves off strong because they did get um, they did get the doubles point, um, but Miami took four singles, so the hard way around. Uh, Kenya Jones fell to the number three singles player in the country, no real shame in that. She beat two in the top ten like last weekend. So, you know, I guess it was it was her turn. Um, Vicky Flores and Gia Conan, uh, Cohen lost to ranked opponents. Um, Vicky Flores was a three-set long, long game. Uh, Kenya Jones also took uh, the number three player, Estela Perez-Samariba. Wow. Uh, to three sets. But, uh, but no, um, they played them all out. Um, and I don't know, I guess, uh, I guess what it comes down to is there are not a lot of clean wins in tennis and there's not a lot of clean losses. Um, if you have tuned in regularly in the last three or four weeks, we've talked a lot about how it's really easy to lose a tennis match four to two, you know, you can, you can lose a, a couple sets by a couple points and look good or look bad. Um, Obviously, not seeing him in person, I can't comment as much. But a stat sheet that jumps out at me at be, as being something we need to be terribly concerned about. Like they were in all their matches, um, and then obviously they followed it up with a good win up at Northwestern, who I believe is not ranked now, but we're pretty good the last time we played them because um, we have played them recently somewhere somehow. Um, wow, that was. That was terrible. Very specific. Um, very specific. I see that you prepared we, very well. We love vague non-specifics. Um, They're no, very Northwestern. Um, no, Northwestern, um, moving on from Miami, Northwestern, 4-2. Solid enough win. Um, lost the doubles point, so had to go the uh, long way around. We almost got swept in the doubles point because uh, Kenya Jones and Vicky Flores were down 5-6 uh, when play was called. So not great. Um, but they did get uh, four singles points. Uh, Kenya Jones beat their only ranks. That's always good. Um, Vicky Flores handled solidly. Uh, Gia Cohen got a win again uh, in three sets. And then uh, court six has been interesting. They're trying. I, I think Tech's trying to figure out what to do um, down on the lower lower lines because it had been um, it's been something we kind of moved around so far this year. So. Court six has been a little bit 
I don't want to say shaky for us, but they're still playing around with the lineup. Um, but Vicky Flores um, is actually playing better singles than Kenya Jones, and that's kind of Kenya Jones has kind of been our uh, our uh, star for or, our anchor, for lack of a better term, since Paige Horgan graduated a couple of years ago. Um, so it, it's kind of good to see her have help, and I think that's why we see Tech kind of taking that step back up from being you know, you know they still made the tournament last year, but uh, but you know like obviously being ranked is a better. Uh, season so far than than last year so they're definitely taking those steps so one and one's not too not too bad cool yeah i have nothing to add because i am not a tennis pro so all i can say is uh i am satisfied with one and one you know disappointing to lose miami but i will take it it wasn't oh uh, true that's kind of where i'm at too i uh did learn something interesting today because i was going through my Wow, it seems like we've been on a real hot streak against NC State uh, kick as I was sitting waiting for class to start. Um, three straight in football, dating back to 2010. Uh, beat them last year in baseball, three in a row in volleyball, um, four in a row in oh, it was some other tennis, vaguely producing sports, basketball. Um, Women's basketball. Uh, men's basketball. Men's basketball. Lol. And then, um, so uh, my favorite one that I found out, before last year when Georgia Tech lost to NC State 4-3 uh, in women's tennis, their streak uh, had dated, it was a 22-game win streak dating back to uh, March 7th, 1998. So that was the <laughs> first time in my lifetime that uh, Georgia Tech uh, – women's tennis had lost to North Carolina state, which is a scary long streak and uh, not, not something, I don't know. You don't usually see it in sports of any level, you know, like that is, that is Kentucky or not. Was it Tennessee, Florida? How long was that? Um, uh, no, you're thinking Kentucky, Florida was 31 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Clemson at Chapel Hill and basketball. 59 yep. years. Yep. So yeah, I, 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 I'm picking up what you're laying down. Yeah, so so that was interesting. That's just something I like. I'm not, I don't have any reason to put that in a in a yellow jacket roundup. But this is a sports podcast where we talk about random stuff uh, that tangentially relates to Georgia Tech. So there you go. There's your historian left turn before we go into what what's next. Let's go to track. Cool. This one's really short. Do you know what it is? Uh, yes, I can cover it because I have my tabs open. Uh, so there Nicole Fegans breaks another school record, uh, taking down the 3,000-meter indoor record. Uh, that is an 18-year record. Um, I don't know what exactly the times were because Jake did not list them in his article. So if you want to know, I'm sure they're on ramblinrec.com. Uh, other than that, in here we have Olivia Moore getting herself a medal at Clemson in the long jump. Three of our men runners, male runners, uh, finished 6th, 7th, and 8th in the mile at Nashville. Uh, and then Bria Matthews uh, was back in action in the triple jump in Clemson. Uh, to piece all of that together, to sum it all up, Tech was in three cities at the same time. Uh, did reasonably well, I would say, especially with the record breaking from Nicole Fegans. 
and now they get to rest up before the ACC indoor championships. I, I'll throw out the the record time uh, nine sixteen eighty eight, which is about uh, just a hair more than six seconds faster than the previous record, which was um, eighteen years old. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, um, I, I mentioned last week that it's like it was like refreshing and like nice to see that tech had uh, had like placed in a meet, you know, because like, they got second in College Station last weekend. Like when you when you do indoor track long enough, it gets kind of like hard to follow because they go, you know, they're out in Ames, they're in Clemson, they're in uh, Nashville. There's there's a lot of stuff going on. And you go like, whoa, they're not really like taking any of these meets, you know. But um, but that's that's kind of why you got to take not like the overall place with a grain of salt, but you got to go. Oh, like Fegan's running really well is clearly a great theme that they've built throughout the year. Um, if you noticed a couple weeks ago, uh, the distance medley uh, had, I think it was podium. Yeah, both teams podiumed uh, in the same meet. That's another got to look at. Oh, Bria Matthews coming back to do the triple jump. She went to uh, NCAAs, I believe, twice last year because they got indoor and outdoor. Either way, it's it's about piecing together the narrative and even more so than you know, like a tennis match that you didn't get to see in person. It's, it's about trying to, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit hard to divine some of this stuff. If They're you, all if individual you, performances. So it, it, yeah. like in terms of comparing and evaluating, it makes like, it, like you're saying, it makes it a little bit different to evaluate how the team is as a whole, because track like swimming, it's <laughs> very individualized and it's, it's almost circumstantial in some places. I feel like. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Cause, uh, and and it's the same reason that like coming going back to women's tennis tinkering with whoever's on you know their lineup especially on court six like that's interesting because you know when you only have to get those four points and you're pretty confident in the top half of your line top half of your lineup you can do things like hmm like oh throw so and so out there I want to see how she plays against this or you know and, and golf's the same way you, you have this flexibility that maybe you don't have in volleyball where you're fighting until you get that 25th point of the third or fourth until you, it's kind of like the, the the sporting equivalent of tossing out like Trace Gonzalez uh, in the eighth bottom of the eighth to take a, an at bat when you're up six, nothing against St. Peter's, you know, it's, it's, it's tinkering in a way that can provide benefits later. And, and in track, especially, you know, like you kind of got to take the, the number with as much, uh, as much Contact. weight as you can, put on it. you know, like that, Oh, that six second drop is going to be more significant than, Oh, she got fourth overall. You know, let's move on to do, 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 do. let's talk about softball and then baseball real quick. And then we'll move on to a couple of our other interesting items. Men's basketball, uh, maybe. <laughs> God. Um, let's talk about softball real fast. Uh, they went 2-2 two and two in the uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge. They picked up a game versus Nebraska and Iowa and then also dropped a game to each of those respectively. Um, there, I mean, they. I think in your recap you said this really should have been 3-1, but they let the first Nebraska game slip away. Um, 
And there was also, I, I noticed this while watching this, watching it this weekend, there was a lot of weirdness around illegal pitches. Um, and yeah. also, they, and in the couple of the other softball games that I was watching around the nation, there was also a renewed emphasis on keeping batter's feet in the batter's box, which those two things are very unique to softball. Um, and it, as someone that comes from a majority baseball background, it seems very overly legislated, in my opinion. So, yeah, I will totally agree with you on that. Um, I had the helpful benefit of having my sister, who is currently being recruited for playing NCAA softball, uh, in attendance at the game with me. Um, shout out, Maddie. Um, but no, she. It's kind of funny because we come from a very, very, very strongly uh, baseball background, if you will. Um, and it, it, it was funny to kind of hear her thoughts on that because, I, I don't know, like th- there's so much intricacy in the softball pitch. And just like there is in baseball, like we can talk circle change or, you know, slurve, whatever. You, you, pitching is a weird, a weird kind of mechanism wherever you're at. If you look at, them lowering the mound in the like the um in the late sixties, you know, like there's always been weird rules about it. But basically, in softball, it there's no mound, right? Because it's all dirt infield. But they do draw a circle around the uh, the rubber, and there's two lines that connect the rubber to the circle. And basically, the short version is you got to stay within the lines with your drag foot on the ground. And I think something that especially the Nebraska pitcher was dealing with a lot was that she was lifting her foot way up and they're like, my, my, uh, my sister derisively called it the hop. Um, so <laughs> I think that plays a lot into it and it kind of makes sense. Like if you're leaping up, then you're going to be able to put more power on it. Um, again, I don't make the rules and it was kind of like, well, why wouldn't they just want everybody to like, jump you know some of it's a safety thing some of it's a mechanism thing and i think some of it's just how they play the game you know like like we do this because that's how you play softball kind of thing um so yeah there's a lot of it morgan bruce got called for it once i believe later but i want to say i saw it in the iowa game too at least the ones one of the early iowa game there's one in the fifth in the game that we run ruled them i believe yeah Um, that was the one that i was watching yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of, int- I, I don't know. It's, it's just a I very really strange to- call, right? Because when you, yeah. it, it's the kind of like a, well, it's kind of like a bulk in baseball where it's a very weird play yeah. or like a pitching mechanism error or a pitching mechanics error. But it's, it's something like bulks are very fluid. Like they, it's, it's very vague on how, on how you define one. That's why there's an entire like joke about them on Reddit. Like they're they're almost imperceptible to to detect. Um, whereas this this is very clear cut, but it's I have not seen this called in what two years now of watching of watching softball pretty regularly. It, it seems like there's a at least to my untrained eye, and your sister can probably tell me if I'm wrong that there might be a renewed emphasis on, on the illegal pitches and then also the, the batter's box rules this year. 
Um, I, I don't know if that was previously abused uh, by other teams, but it seems like there there might be a renewed emphasis on it. All right. So Google had a uh, new 2020 softball pitching rules suggestion as soon as I uh, as soon as I like went to look for it. If that makes it. no, no, do not play a video. There we go. Um, wow, looks like a like a lengthy bulleted list here. Just uh, clicking around through here. Are yeah, they just suggestions, and- or are they suggestions, or uh, accepted suggestions? I'll put it like this: the NCAA has a PDF on their website titled "2020 and 2021 Major Rule Changes for Softball." Oh, okay. So they were accepted. Okay, cool. This is official. Yeah. Um, prohibits attachments from being added to the foul side of the foul pole. Huh. That's interesting. Random. That I like the Cubs have flags on their flag pole. That's weird. Um, require visible undergarments contrast with the color of the ball. Okay, get to the juicy parts. Just c- command F. Come on here. Barrel compression testing. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Focus. Okay, N- artificial noisemakers. Interesting. Oh, is the oh, uh, no more cowbell? Womp womp. Yeah. Well, see, no, in the dugouts. Um, oh, that's apparently they've been using artificial noisemakers, musical instruments, air horns, and amps by student athletes and team personnel. Man, that's wow. Fa- Man, the Falcons' influence really stretches everywhere, doesn't it? Yep. Uh, the offensive team must keep all personnel except the base coaches, batter, base runners, and on deck batter in the dugout while the ball is live. That was that not a rule already? Oh, here's the pitching ones. 10.1.1 and 10.2.1. The pitcher is considered to be in the pitching position when she is her hands apart, her pivot foot in contact. Oh, the underline is a new addition. Her pivot foot in contact with the pitcher's plate, both feet on the ground within the 24-inch length of the pitcher's plate, the hips in line with first and third bases. Um, they struck out uh, stepping forward and having both feet on the pitcher's plate um, and the catcher in the position to pitch. Um all right, and then the other rule change is that both feet must be on the ground in contact with the pitcher's plate. Um, and they added the stride of the foot may be on or behind the pitcher's plate as far back as desired. Once the pitcher initially sets the toe of her stride foot, she may not step back any farther to increase the distance. So basically what they did um, is they uh, uh, they you can, instead of starting with two feet on the mound, you have to, or two feet on the, uh, the rubber you can start with your foot back and the rationale is to uh, because it's hard to see if the stride foot is actually in contact with the pitcher's plate. There's no advantage to doing that. Um, as long as they're not allowed to step farther back during the start of the pitch and will provide better balance and take account uh, their variances in sizes and strengths without creating unfair advantage. So there, so it looks you, like that as a, as a side effect is, is causing this increased emphasis on the illegal pitch rule. Yes. Okay. And that at least has yeah. a logical end. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And, and, uh, the, uh, it, it, it's, it seems like this is actually a rule that D legislates it a little bit, if that makes sense. No, no, no. It, do, it does make sense because what they're allowing is, for no, it it totally makes sense. It, it, they're allowing the pitcher to take a step back because it doesn't. They're they're allowing the pitcher to put their plant foot 
back behind the plate because it doesn't affect how much power they can generate in their throwing motion. Yeah. So so they're saying, okay, this is a more comfortable – like we realize this is a more comfortable way for you to throw without being advantageous or creating an unfair advantage which I guess is what advantageous means. So, so we're going to allow it anyway. So it, 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 it all has a, but, but at the same time, because now you're, you're looking for the plant foot, you're looking for that back plant foot and making sure it's in place correctly. You also spend more time looking at where that land, that front foot lands. And if it lands in that strip. Yeah. Um, and I'll I'll add something interesting that is kind of a, a related rule. I don't think this is what they were calling on on Saturday or Friday. Um, they also added that in the pitching position, which is, is kind of what they defined about the stepping back um, and taking the signal, the pitcher has to take or appear to take a signal, uh, not necessarily from the catcher. Uh, this is interesting to me because something we saw in – Again, probably the most uh, notable instance I can think of a quick pitch is uh, Johnny Cueto to Javi Baez in game one of the 2016 NLDS, a game that was decided 1-0 because Javi Baez immediately steps in and hits a home run. Um, so obviously it doesn't always work. But softball has had like a big uh, rash of quick pitching last year, and that is um, definitely not ideal like it's a it's a short mound it's a it's coming at you fast so basically they're trying to legislate more it's kind of like you take away that advantage but you give them this other you know you can put your plant foot back um and kind of get it get that better balance so it i guess it's not all coming up pitchers and like i don't think it'll eliminate the offensive power of the game which is kind of one thing that like you know doing something that's going to benefit a pitcher that's always the immediate concern, right? Like, are people going to watch the game? Is I don't think it's it going to. Yeah, I don't think it's going to affect oh, yeah. the offensive, uh, the offensive output of a game at all because it's the same motion. Sure, the quick pitches are 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 annoying, but anything it should improve offensive power. Like I like what yeah. what they've stated pretty explicitly, and we should totally move on after this because now we're turning into a softball yeah. rules podcast. But um, what they're what they're saying in that rule book explicitly is this position, this like editing of the motion to where the plant foot is behind the, behind the plate is not advantageous to the pitching motion. It doesn't help you generate yeah. any more power. So we're just going to let you do it because it doesn't make any difference. I don't mm-hmm. know how they determine this scientifically. And so I can't necessarily comment on the validity, but it, it's, it's right there. <laughs> So yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, rep, bring it back to tech softball. I, I do want to hit um, two of my bullet points. Um, Lexi Ray and Blake Nillman looked way better these times out pitching. That's good. Those are things we need to come along. I mean, um, not and playing then, the number one team in the nation helps. Yes. Um, and then at the plate, Cameron Stanford, great, reliable veteran presence. Um, her double on Saturday afternoon sounded fantastic. Um, it's good to hear them hitting the ball hard. And I guess between her uh, and Emma Koff, no one else is doing it better. And uh, I don't know uh, how Nebraska let a girl from Lincoln 
slip away when she was their state's player of the year. But Emikoff is a revelation. Um, again, if very, she can, very, very yeah. good. And they she can play multiple positions too. She did not, she was not behind the plate on, uh, in that Iowa, the first Iowa game. She was, uh, she was in left, left field, field if the ESPN graphics mm-hmm. were to be believed. No, so, yeah, that, uh, she was, can confirm, uh, Mora was behind the plate, but yes, yes. Um, bringing us to the other diamond sport. Let's talk baseball. Oh boy. All right. Let's, let's dive into it. I have the, I have my notes here somewhere. So, baseball opening weekend was last weekend. They went 2-1. and one. So they beat St. Peter's 6-0. They beat Cincinnati 6-4. And then got blown out by St. John's 11-1. Bit of a mixed bag. So, the St. Peter's game is not super reflective of the opponents that we're going to face this season. St. Peter's only won five games in 2019. So let's step beyond that for now. Let's talk about the weekend as a whole, uh, at least those last two games. What did you see that stuck out to you? Uh, first, um, the youth movement is probably the, the, the biggest thing that we we're kind of ha- going to have to wrap our, our heads around. I, uh, kept scorecards wow at st peter's and cincinnati so those are kind of the ones i'm going to lean off of but i was at all three games um just had to leave st john's early and i will say um nine or yeah nine innings four to maxwell two to smith two to westbrooks uh and one to king of shutout ball uh six walks on the day with 12 strikeouts that uh, and only two hits uh scattered through the nine innings i liked what I saw from the freshman pitchers. Um, that's probably freshman youth movement takeaway. Number one uh, in that game, Compton in his first at bat uh, as a freshman boinked one off the right field foul, foul pole. Uh, and this, despite the guy throwing not EFIS pitches, but the underhand, you know, that wacky slow stuff that you don't really, not that you don't plan for it. Cause that sounds bad, but see a lot of it you know um so th- that's the freshmen definitely big takeaway pitching they look good on the mound um definitely have some work still cut out at the plate uh, and i think I, that probably goes for basically everyone that's not like goldberg and waddell at this point but but, but i think I, we I knew know. that coming in too like this is what the, yeah. at least at least at the plate that's sort of what we expected we knew that you're missing you're missing a bit of power and then you're also missing a bit of hitting consistency because you lose Kyle McCann with the power and then Tristan English with the hitting consistency. So you need to find that somewhere. And I think last week we, we sort of agreed you got to let the games play out. You got to have, I think it's like your 30 or 40 at bats to, for those, um, for your, all of your metrics to stabilize. And I think what we saw this week, or this weekend is is concerning in a way, but at the same time we have to take it with that grain of salt, right? These stats have not stabilized whatsoever. Um, I I will I will interject that it's not something I foresaw that Radcliffe and Colin Hall were going to be our two biggest offensive black holes, uh, which is problematic with them in the three and four spots. Um, but if Radcliffe's one hit so far this year, uh, 
scorched triple. Um, so I'm not going to worry about him too much yet. And his, his speed on the base pads and this, another great takeaway running. They have been, they have been aggressive on the base pads. Um, and uh, kind of complimenting that Holland has looked well um, in the behind the dish, throwing people out if not at the plate yet. But um, aggressive on the base pads. Um, I'm trying to. It's kind of hard to like not be in the mode of like doing the scorecard and kind of going back to what I was talking about. Um, Webb definitely looked better. I, I think our bats, kind of as ironic as this sounds, look better against Cincinnati than they did against uh, St. Peter's and obviously St. It's kind of interesting because, you know, you'd think the team that only won five games, you'd be like, all right, time to feast. Mr. Underhand Sidearm Man. That, that's, was that Konsevich? It's hard dating. You know? was, that, was that Konsevich that, uh, in that first game that you're referring to? Yeah, Konsevich. 4.2 innings, 7 hits, 4 runs, 4 earned. Yeah, like obviously it's short off of him. But it's just weird. Yeah, and I and I think also part of that is sort of knocking the rust off, right? You see a more yeah. composed, a more aggressive offensive approach in that second game, um, and also a more composed pitching performance in a couple ways too from from Hughes and Archer uh, in that in that second game. That first game, you throw out all all the young arms. And then in the second game, you, you let two, uh, two of the elder state statesmen in the, uh, in the pitching staff take over. Yeah. And, uh, Archer looked good. That, that, uh, those two runs in or three runs in the eighth, not that all of them were unearned. Cause he did, he did let up a ground rule double and a single, and those were hard hit. But, um, but it, it, it came down more to the error, then that started off and then hitting him mm-hmm. with a pit, you know, like obviously it's not great to give up three runs, but man coming back off injury in the first uh, outing back had seven strikeouts across uh, 17 batters faced. So that yeah, is, and he, that is and, not and, and he hasn't played a competitive game in two years. Like Wiley was touting yeah. the stat on, on the broadcast. Well, two years of stretch, but it was something like 631 days he hadn't he hadn't played a game and this is his first yep. action for that being his first action we can go over his line line here four innings two hits three runs two of them earned two walks seven k's uh and all of that in 17 batters faced that's pretty good like i i'm I, i'm going to complain a little bit about the walks and then but for the most part, that is probably what you want out of out of a long relief stint, and yep. he he fulfilled. He is going to be a long relief guy for for Georgia Tech this season, or at least that one either or in the back back part of that pen as we get into late game situations. And this is the sort of performance that that you want to see, or at least that the. Where you want what you want as a starting off point for the season? Yeah, and uh, I, I got uh, not that I'm a doubter. Would never doubt you, Andy Archer. But um, in the eighth, I got nervous. Um, but then he comes back out in the ninth. One, two, three strikeouts. The second one, looking, you know, clearly he still had what it took. Comes back with a vengeance, and uh, it's 
it's really it's going to be really fun to see how that develops. I think that is a that's an interesting storyline to keep track of this season. How the bullpen regains its consistency or finds consistency after with Archer now being that centerpiece. Yeah, and and, and they heard it here first. Dalton Smith, I, I think he's going to be good. He looked really good live. All right, so we can talk about the St. John's game, but I think both of us are over it. It's it's a more realistic, like I said, it's more realistic to the teams that Tech will face this season compared to St. Peter's. But yikes, this was not fun. We're we we don't have to beat dead horses, or 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 we don't have to uh, sound alarms or anything like that. Florida State lost to Niagara to start the season. They're not doomed. We lost to St. John's, probably the second best team we played yet. It's it's not great, but it's game three. You know, you know it's it's game three out of like fifty something. It'll it all works out. Like teams have these kinds of losses. I, I'm not I'm not concerned. Florida State went back the next day and beat Niagara twenty four to four. Stuff happens. You win two out of three from here until June, and uh, you're playing in Omaha for those last three. So, yep, uh, that would be that would be fun. I, I would like that personally. Yeah, I would too. Olympic <laughs> right. here too. Ooh, that would be a good. Don't don't tease me like that. That would be an amazing trip to Omaha, and Omaha is Omaha. I've been there. Went to a college World Series. Of course, that was when I was in middle school, but. <laughs> Yeah. Um you got any you got any art, overarching thoughts on baseball? You going to call anybody as being a king? Or are you going to I I am going to f- play the sample size card here. I want 2 weeks of games in before I say anything. Uh before I say anything <laughs> semi definitive. I I just want I want to see some of these numbers stabilize uh and see what see what we're playing with because uh, like you said you're you're looking at the consistent hitters from last year, like Waddell and Goldberg being back, but then you're also seeing what looks like re- serious regression after like twelve at bats total from Radcliffe and and Hall. So sample size. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk to me in two weeks. All right, we'll do. <laughs> All right, let's let's wrap up with a couple of quick hitters before we get into our last major topic. Uh, club sports hockey went one win and one draw this week. I think the win was versus Liberty and the draw was also versus Liberty. If I read yep. the article right, um, lacrosse dumpstered both of the teams that they played. I don't even think it's worth mentioning who they played. That was, it was that bad. Um, and they are looking, they're looking very good. That is as per usual, that is your, tournament team nationally ranked georgia tech club lacrosse team so uh we'll we'll see how that one how that one works out at the end of the season all right let's let's get into the weirder weirdest discussion to close off georgia tech men's basketball beat number what number five number four louisville five this week okay well top five louisville what happened I'm still very confused. That was a not not 
not to say it was a bad game. That was an ugly, ugly game. Um, yeah, let's... in an interesting way. There was there was the whole Blarge thing. That was that was whack. That I was think weird. The tech being in the double bonus with what 10, 11 to play in the second half. That was weird. Um, yeah, no, a, I, it was just a strange. It was a strange game. I think Georgia Tech prides itself on winning strange games. I will I will say that. Look, this is the, this is the yeah. second of them. I will say that I I think we've won this season. There's been a lot of strange. It's been a. This is the strange king of the strange season. Um, yeah, obviously a very a very good win in terms of uh, you know like the prestige of it or whatever. Um, no court storming though. I, no court storming, which as that, someone that, that was a student and didn't get to experience that, I fully resent today's student body for. Dude, I was right there. I really wanted to, but sadly, not. Um, what, what was I going on about? No, um, I guess I don't know. It's kind of been a theme of trying to watch, um, trying to watch basketball this year. That it's not really been, it's not really been that fun with how it's been official. I feel like every game I go, man, what is with these calls? And I, I don't know. Like when it's not Georgia Tech, it, it leads me to believe that I'm. I can't be the only one wondering that, but it's definitely, um, definitely most apparent when I'm watching games I'm most invested in. And I, I think I think a lot of the weirdness went both ways. So I, I'm not gonna just chalk that up to being like, like, oh like, oh man, they called this weird thing at Georgia, blah blah sort of winner kind of thing. Cause I about both teams when we lose. But it was just it, it was just weird. It was strange. Uh just to go over some of the high level statistics from the box score here. Louisville only shot only made like one of eight or like two of 16 three pointers, something like that. They shot 12 and a half percent from three um, tech for one of the few times this season, won the battle at the charity stripe with 71% versus Louisville's 70%. Um, overall tech shot. Uh, if you're looking at true shooting percentage tech shot about 11 percentage points better than Louisville, uh, Tech did again lose the re, uh, the turnover battle. I had two more turnovers than Louisville, but I think in that that also goes back to what you're saying in that this was an evenly called game. I mean, our turnover numbers here include, and, and I didn't split them out, so this is my fault when I was putting together box score. But they include both dead ball and live ball turnovers. So if you're counting fouls in there, that's still pretty even. I mean. Plus or minus two, sure, but that's still a fairly evenly cold game. Yeah, I um, I, I will say part of the weirdness isn't isn't down to the officiating too. I I don't think Louisville. Granted, I've only watched them play like two or three other games here, but I wouldn't really say that they are the most polished team on the planet. It felt a lot like they were not just chucking balls up because that that's not fair to them, but. You watch Georgia Tech set play, and sometimes you're like, "Oh, they're fast and loose. They're not making that that dunk, that layup, or you know, it's not taking crisp. advantage where they could." It's not crisp. A lot of Tech plays, and I wouldn't say Louisville played a very crisp game either. They Tech Tech is used to turning over the ball a lot, um, and if we're even in the ballpark of uh, a similar turnover margin, we're going to be in that ball game, and and that's obviously what happened. 
last week, yeah. you know? Yeah, and and I guess this comes with the... It's just a weird game. And I, I think a part of this is also you have to consider that Jordan Nora versus Georgia Tech was completely shut down. I think he only had two points. I don't he think he only had two points, and this is a guy that averages something around 20 per per game for the season. Um, and then this mm-hmm. this win also comes with a with a similar caveat that Clemson went ahead and did the did the same dang thing to Louisville yesterday. So this is just a weird swoon for a Louisville team that has looked pretty good for the majority of the season. And, you, and I think a, there was a lot of talk about Jordan Nora winning ACC Player of the Year, but he, he's been absolutely silenced by two teams that. And, and I will say this in, with full respect to both Georgia Tech and, and Clemson. They're in the, like, even by ranking standards, let's put that scientifically, like, they're in the bottom half of the conference right now. These are teams that, and I hate to say it, Louisville should be, Louisville should be winning these games and improving their tournament stock. And, and right now, they just drop both of them in consecutive, uh, in consecutive days. It's, it's weird to watch. And, and, both games ended up playing out the exact same way. Like uh, Georgia Tech and Clemson shot the ball, shot the ball better than Louisville, and Louisville tried to turn it into a little bit of a, a street fight with a lot of turnovers and a and a lot of uh, not dirty play, but just not crisp, like you're saying, not crisp play, and it it just worked out in the in a home team's favor both times. To an extent, it's very hard to go on the road and win in the ACC. Yeah, that is true. No, that but at true. the same time, it's a number. It's, it's like the number five not, team in the country. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's not possible to be a number five team to go into two thirds full McCamish Pavilion on a weekday night. You know, like that is not. And that's that's not a, that's not a slight not, against us, right? That's not a slight against yeah. the, the fans that are at McCamish Pavilion. But even in this weird of a year in college basketball. There is a certain amount of, I don't know, prestige or respect we give to a top 10 or a top five opponent, right? We expect a certain level of what we expect a certain level of performance. We game in and game out. And sure, you can pull the old, like what people do in baseball. It's like, oh, anyone can win in a given day. And we've we've said that today on this podcast (laughs) itself. But it, it just like, there's so much smaller of a sample size in basketball, like pro and college than there is in baseball. And that greatness, like the the true talent of a team can really take advantage of that that small sample size and dumpster like lower quality teams. And, you know, if you take a very like not so rigorous statistical approach, Louisville probably should have won both of these games. Margin aside, they should have won at least, and they didn't. Yeah. That is a testament to the quality of both Clemson and Georgia Tech and the way that they've played this season because Clemson has had some good wins this season too. But Yep, they're in the same place we're at. I think both of us are just at the same state where we're just like, what happened? <laughs> like This is supposed to be a good ACC contending Louisville team that just got their power sucked away by the Monstars, seemingly. Yeah. Hopefully it happens to the other Louisville team uh, this week when the women's team plays them. 
All right, let's. I think I think we've done the exasperated college basketball fan in twenty twenty meme to death at this point over the last yep. like ten minutes. All right, let's go into the weekend precap. Uh, what are we looking for this week in Georgia Tech sports? Um, brief, uh, brief shout out. Right now is men's golf. Uh, they're in first out in Puerto Rico, third in the country. They lead number two Oklahoma. By a stroke uh, after Monday's play um, Tuesday, I don't think this goes out till Wednesday, so we'll just skip right to Wednesday. Women swim and dive at ACC championships. Uh, that'll go through Saturday. Uh, softballs at Georgia State at five. Men's basketballs at Wake Forest seven. Uh, women's basketball hosts Louisville at six p.m. on Thursday. Uh, softball heads to Birmingham. Friday uh, to play DePaul, Kentucky, and Samford. Women's tennis uh, hosts Virginia, uh, 4 p.m., Ken Byers on Friday, while men's tennis same time is at Tennessee and Knoxville. Uh, baseball will host Ohio State uh, on my uh, on my uh, YJR. By the time it says 2 p.m., it's actually 4 p.m., and that'll be 4-2-1, the traditional home weekend series times against Ohio State. Um, then Saturday, you got more baseball and softball, men's basketball, basketball plays up at Syracuse. Um, and then on Sunday, women's tennis is at Boston college in Chestnut Hill. That's a must win. Uh, men's tennis hosts Miami at noon, baseball and softball round out the slate before women's basketball is going to be not at 2 PM on a Sunday. Wacky. I know, um, they have the 4 PM slot on ACC network. Kind of surprised they didn't get a uh, a uh, home closing, I guess. Um, I, to close out their home slate, I'm surprised they didn't get the the actual nighttime game because I don't think they've had one of those on the weekend at home yet. But they play Florida State. Uh, they're pretty good. They're playing for K that day, so they'll be raising proceeds uh, for research. Um, so good for them. Uh, and then in terms of... Uh, terms of schedule that pretty much rounds it out uh stay tuned for um some more club news lax should be back in action hockey's regional tournaments coming up and then club swim will be in gainesville florida for uh for that meet um off the top of my head i think rugby plays too so busy week just i guess a quick preview because we are very much so uh over time if i if my clock here is correct Previews: Softball going to Alabama, Birmingham, Samford. They should they play Samford twice, I believe. Kentucky twice and DePaul once. Seems like we played DePaul every year, which is kind of random. Uh, Kentucky's a top twenty team. Uh, banking one of those two games would be great. Um, DePaul and Samford, we're we're, we're under five hundred. It would be nice to come back from Alabama. Uh, one game above 500, uh, go four and one on the weekend. But I know that that is a bold thing to ask from anyone. So uh, I'll set my expectation at three and two, and then hopefully we bank a win against Georgia State uh, coming up during the week, which would put us yeah. at four. I'll interject here with a brief preview of Ohio State. Ohio State is Big Ten. They're not – I mean, the Big Ten is not a great basketball conference other than the, the creme de la creme. So we're talking Michigan. I think that's about it. Um, 
So Ohio State, they did win the Big Ten tournament last year and made the uh, NCAA tournament, but then they kind of crapped out. So two and one is the expectation. Um, Hopefully that works out. Yeah. Yeah. Two out of three ain't bad, actually. Yeah. Uh, Men's basketball, who knows? Women's basketball, it's a rough stretch. I don't think either of us would be uh, well-served as to predicting those because we will probably be wrong on both accounts. Um, Yeah, that I think that about rounds it up. Any last final thoughts? Um, No. Happy President's Day. Belated to them. That's about it. Cool. So, uh, with that being said, we will see you next Tuesday or whenever we get a chance to record. I don't know. Time is weird. Peace out.